that's on your mind this morning. This is the opportunity. This is a great opportunity and platform. No question is a stupid question. No question is a foolish one. Whatever is in your heart this morning as the man of God begin to minister, allow God to speak to your heart. And if there's something that you need to ask, something you need to respond to, I want you to ask. I want you to respond. There will be a time for that this morning. And we want to use up this man of God because God sent him here. Don't let him go back to Tennessee without unloading everything God intended for us to receive. Amen. So we want to welcome Brother Tim Zuniga. Come on, my brother, and minister to us. Good morning to all of you. Amen. Just great to be here and so thankful for the kindness, the hospitality, and I certainly appreciate the leadership of Brother Wayne. Brother Warren, I appreciate um, what God is doing in this district. I have come this morning, I've traveled this morning to unpack what is very deep in my heart. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm going to be very practical. I'm going to just pour a lot out there. And I know at some point, some things are not going to matter or they're not going to be where you are. But there's going to be one or two things that is said today that's going to land squarely in your spirit. You're going to know that's what God had you come here for. And so I want you to prepare yourself, amen, and uh, we're going to write. If you have a place to write, if you have a phone, a tablet, a piece of paper, if you need to get a gum wrapper, um, because here's what I, I want you to be a steward of what God's going to say, amen? Amen. So great to be here, an honor to be here. Thank you for the invitation, and uh, I pray that our time together is blessed. I'm going to do a, a leadership lesson uh, and then I'm going to open it up for some questions. But I'm going to talk about the hard stuff of leading. You may be seated. The hard stuff of leading. The hard stuff of leading. Um, because leadership in a church is, is challenged. There is one man named Jim Collins that said something like this. When you're leading in a nonprofit, leaders in a nonprofit organization like churches are some of the best leaders in the world because they don't have leverages like you can fire people, you can give bonuses, you lead out of passion, you lead out of desire. But here's the challenge in the church. We assume that preachers are leaders. We assume preachers are leaders. It's interesting, I've heard, and you've probably heard a lot, where people say something like this. When Jesus called the disciples, he was calling men that were uneducated, he was calling men that were not very smart, uh, but they were willing, and so... God needs your availability. He, 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 just, he doesn't need your abilities. He needs your availability. But when the, if the church was left to the disciples, if the church was left to these 12 men, we probably would not have the church that we have now. We, we probably would not have, the church would not exist. It would not still be in play. It would not still have an effect on our communities and society. Because these 12 men, God gave them the message. God called them. But when God wanted to create direction and structure and bring language and bring some a vision, he called a leader, and his name was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is the man that is credited of putting doctrine and bringing stability and bringing oversight and bringing some, some a continuity to this newfound faith of Christianity. Leadership in the church matters. And so uh, I remember a long time ago, put this right there. This is the first lapel mic right here, okay? Uh, it just, just helps my hands to be free. Um, 
But I was in a leadership conference a long time ago when I was about 20 years old. And I was, uh, this is when John Maxwell, who is a leadership guru, was pastoring in San Diego. And I just went to this leadership conference because I was hungry. I was wanting to learn. I didn't know where my life would end up, but I was desiring. And uh, I remember in that conference that he taught this lesson that I never forgot. And I, I, I try, to, try to instill this in as many leaders as I can. And he said something like this. He said, this hand represents your ministry. This is your praying, your fasting, your preaching. This is your ministry. This is your study, your skills, your ability. This is your ministry. He said, this hand represents your leadership, your ability to lead, your ability to get things done, your ability to gather followers. He said, always, your ministry comes under your leadership. So if your leadership's a four, your ministry will only be able to be a three. If your leadership's a seven, your ministry can be a six. That's why there are some godly people that are passionate and they're very good and they hunger for God, but they seem to struggle. They can't seem to break free and break through barriers. They can't seem to gain momentum. They fasten until their belly button falls off. and I mean, they're hungry, but they can't leave. And then you get around some people that are carnal, and yet they seem to be able to grow and be able to achieve and be able to accomplish things, and it is because their leadership's up here. I never forgot that. You cannot work hard enough on your leadership. I don't care if you're in business. I don't care if you own your own business. You work for a company, or especially if you're in church. You cannot work hard enough on your leadership. From that moment on, I begin to pour into myself and begin to be around places that sharpen my leadership skills. Because this is what I want you to understand. There are, there are five stages of leadership that you have to, to, to get a hold if you're going to grow. Five levels of leadership. And the first level of leadership is just heart. Okay, You don't have, a, you don't have experience. You, you don't have a, a, a resume. You know, you've not accomplished anything. All you got is a heart that's passionate. You desire, you're hungry, no one trusts you, no one thinks you can do anything, but you weep and you pray and you, and you work hard. You, 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 all you've got is heart. The next step of leadership is what I call skill. You start learning some things. You start learning how to lead people. You learn how to get things accomplished. You learn how to, to gather a group of people and you begin to gather skills. People begin to look at you and they begin to identify there's something neat about them. They're special. They, they, they can accomplish things. They get some skills. You, you learn how to type. You learn how to program. You, you learn how to draw. You, you learn how to speak. You learn how to play. Your piano playing gets better. You, you, you just get skilled up. This is the next level of leadership. But, but the next level of leadership is actually you lead. You get in charge of something. You, you're in part of a ministry. You, you head up a department. You get a promotion. You actually start lead. People come to you for answers. They look for you for advice. You are now the leader. But majority of churches get stuck right here. Okay? There's, where, there's a pastor and, and, and God's using this pastor, and all of a sudden, everything has to come through that pastor. 
There's not, nothing is done without that pastor's approval. We don't buy toilet paper. We don't mow the yard. We don't turn on lights. It's all because the pastor is the leader. Alright? And you know what? It's pretty good to feel that way. People like you. They call you pastor. They call you leader. Man, you got a special parking place. I mean, the, people, the church don't start until you walk in the room. Okay? I, I'm just talking here. I don't know who you are, so I, I feel free. I'm going to get on a plane in a little bit and, and it's going to be good. But most churches I know, the reason they die and the reason they don't grow is because they get stuck here. This is the level where it really began to shift for me. Because the next level is the most important level. And that level is what we call a constellation of colleagues. It is almost like the solar system. There's planets that are brilliant and talented and skilled and, and, they're, and they all orbit one another. If you're leading, you don't have to be the smartest person in the group. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have the fine, you, you don't have to be the most sharpest tool in the shed, so to speak. In fact, leaders that are really good are very comfortable with letting other people shine. Let other people progress. They don't try to dampen people down. They try to unveil what God's called them to do. Unpackage how they're wired by God. How gifted and what they bring to the church. This level right here is a powerful level. This is where God sends brilliant, skilled, gifted people to you. He doesn't send them to you to compete with you. He sends them to you to compliment you. But if you're insecure and you get nervous because someone has shinier shoes or somebody can sing at a higher pitch than you, I'm going to tell you, God will not trust you with brilliant, skilled, amazing, talented, gifted people. So leaders understand I'm going to be better when I allow people to feel comfortable. Here's what I know. If I'm uncomfortable, I make those that I lead uncomfortable. Right? If, if there's some funkiness in my, the way I lead and the aura that I lead and people get nervous being around me because I want to make them feel intimidated. I want to make them like, I'm the boss and don't you ever forget it. Right? Okay? If you start doing that, you make people, I'm not bringing my A game. I'm not bringing my best idea because some people think it's only smoke if it comes out of their chimney. Right? But God wants to send the church in this district talented, skilled, anointed, powerful, brilliant, amazing men and women that can help the church of the living God. But if you don't make room for them, you'll never grow. You get stuck. Well, the, the, the fifth level of leadership, this is just where God takes the church and blows it up. God takes a church and, man, you can't explain it. It's a God thing. God's bringing people. God's doing marvelous things. And you've just got ringside seats to the biggest show on earth. God's at work, okay? But how do you get there? How do you, I don't know if I, you can all see this, but I'm trying to make you be able to see this, okay? But how do you get there? So if you're going to work on your leadership, let me just share some things that is important in the process. You have to read. Amen. you got to read. If you're not reading, I'm going to tell you, you're losing ground. As one man put it, you have some men and women that have given their life, they've educated, they're scholarly, they're talented, and they have packaged their life in a book. 
you get brilliance in a couple of hundred pages, and all you have to pay is twelve ninety five from Amazon Prime. Get it next day at your house, and all of a sudden you get a load of amazing insight. But if you don't read, you'll never harvest. Your mind will never grow. You'll never think. Your mind will never expand. But if you're going to grow and you're serious about it, now I don't know about you, but I'm serious about the local church. If there's some talented people out there that are giving their guts to getting a better company, starting an app, developing some science, coming up with a new concept, they're they're burning the midnight oil, they, they are hungry to develop the next big whatever. Shouldn't there be people that care that much about the church? That believe that the church deserves powerful, brilliant, hungry, passionate leaders that make a difference? I'm one of those guys that think the church deserves a better brand of leader. A humble, dedicated, passionate, growing leader. That's what I'm in it for. That's what I believe God is pleased with. And so if you're going to develop, you got to read. You also, in, in, in our world that's so wonderful and yet uh, simplistic and profound all at the same time, you have things at your disposal. I have things at my disposal, like podcasts. If you're not a reader, I have that all the time. People say, but there's any, I'm not a reader. Well, you might as well tell me you don't like to breathe. Because you just don't want to live. But, but, but whatever, you've got to start pouring things in your spirit. You've got to be able to open your understanding. You're, you're not going to drift into greatness. You're, you're not going to trip over some brilliant thing. You are going to be exposed, and God's going to anoint that idea, and all of a sudden you're going to put your spirit and the Holy Spirit upon it, and it's going to be an answer for your church. I, I was listening to a podcast uh, just, just last two days. It's a guy from, his name is Keith Yamashita, okay? Keith Yamashita, you don't know who he is, but he's a guy, he is the first and only writer for Steve Jobs, all right? At a young age, he got, he got connected with Apple and got connected with Steve Jobs, and he's a brilliant, creative thinker, has an organization that, that they are the company that came along Starbucks recently when Starbucks shut down for a half a day and they did some anti-bias training for all their Starbucks, 175,000 employees. And I just, I listened to him as he began to talk about how they went in and what their concept was. And one of the things that they talked about that was powerful to me, what, what he talked about is that, that we all have these, these, these biases that we don't even recognize. We all have these ingrained, we were raised with, we were in cultures, and we have these bias. He said, but humans are the only ones that have the ability to pause and assess their bias and be able to do something about it. You have biases. I tell my church all the time, when you come to church, you know where you go park. You, you just drive there, you don't even think about it. When you walk in church, that's my seat. I'm going to go sit in my seat. When's the last time you sat in another part of the church? You'd probably mess the pastor up if you said somewhere else. Like, hey, where's they? What's happening? Somebody's fighting here. I don't know. Right? We, we have these biases. And, and, and so he said, what, what it takes is, we got to understand it's the micro actions that we do every day that make a profound difference. Boy, that washed over me and my Holy Ghost jumped and said, you know what? That's what you teach the church. You, you want to be a soul winner? You want to be passionate for God? It's not big one time speaking in tongues, laying out and seeing angels and a, and, 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 and a ladder from heaven and you got visions and you see animals floating down. That's great. 
But I'm going to tell you, every day, you can say, God, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to please you. I want to do amazing things for you. Let my light shine brighter today. Just those thoughts, the micro actions, you accumulate those micro actions, and all of a sudden, you're living in a different world. There's a different aura about you. God's doing amazing things in your life. But if you're not listening, you're not growing, you're not hungry, you're not going to get there. You need to get around great leaders. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If, if all you're rubbing shoulders with is people that are depressed and discouraged and negative, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be the same thing. I don't care if you've got to buy somebody lunch. Say, I just got to find myself around better leaders. I get to rub shoulders with people that are going to sharpen me, challenge me, going to help me think bigger, better, and help me to love God more. You got to go where leadership is taught. And, and, and so I, this is where I get a little personal here is for the last about nine or ten years, um, my staff and I, we've been going to a, a leadership conference called Global Leadership Summit. It is the largest Christian leadership church conference in the world. Over 400,000 people gather uh, um, every year. For the last ten years, I have sat there and I have allowed the Holy Ghost to wash over me. There were sessions that I would just tuck my head in between the pew and allow tears to roll down my cheeks and allow God to just begin to wash this pastor. Every year I have gone, I begin with this God page. I write, a, find a blank sheet of paper in my notebook, and, and I put on the very top, God page. Because I know somewhere in that conference, God is going to speak a word to me that I need to do. I need to respond to. I need to obey. And it is every year that God washes and cleanses and he challenges me. It is giving me things about what I need to do next and where I need to grow and things I need to work on and things I need to start talking about. This idea of being around and going to leadership conference mattered so much that last year, two years ago, I took 70 of our leaders. This past year, we took 120 of our leaders to go. We start with young people, and I'm going to get to this in a moment, but we start with young people as well. And we ask them to come because here's what I know. Everybody wins when leaders get better. I'm going to say that again. Everybody wins when leaders get better. When dads get better, homes win. When moms get better, homes win. When pastors and leaders get better, churches win. And so, I, I, again, this conference is in August 9th and 10th. And again, I'm going to encourage you to look into it. But... I called them, and I asked them if they would send me last year's edition. These are DVDs. These are probably about $249 a piece. They gave me one that I can give to every pastor here. I'm going to give this to you, but here's what I'm challenging you. If you're going to take one of these, you don't have to, but if you're going to take one of these, I want you to find a time, and don't rush it, but find a time where you can sit and think. And begin to contemplate the leadership lessons that you're going to learn. This is our go-to sharpening our leadership every year for our staff. We have a many apostolic pastors in the Nashville area that come. In fact, the majority of our churches gather together at our church as we watch this live, as we begin to grow and learn together and have conversations. That, you know what? We've never been taught. No one's ever instructed us. No one's ever challenged us. As the world continually changes, no one's ever talked about some of these things that make us better. 
And so if you're a pastor, I'm going to leave these up here. I would love for, to put one of these in your hands, and this is for you to grow. Here's why. Romans 12.8 says like this. If you, if you are gifted, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. When, when I've read that verse, that verse has brought me to my knees more times than not. If you are given the gift of leadership, then you need to take that job serious. But you're not going to drift into growing better. You've got to be intentional about growing better. The next thing I want to tell you about in, in leadership is don't ignore your emotional health. Okay? Don't ignore your emotional health. See, every leader I know has an emotional bucket. Every leader I know comes to a point where they feel worn out, they feel discouraged, they feel a little bit uh, weary. I've been in the enough sessions like this. I've had pastors come to me and say, Brother Zuniga, I didn't even want to come. But I'm here. And I thought, this is my last opportunity. This is my last chance. I'm done after this. And I'm, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to walk away from this, and I'm done. But I came to this conference, and God just gave me what it takes to keep moving forward. Because here's what happens. When your emotional bank gets this low, you get stressed. Everything becomes a little bit more pressure in your life. But if you don't fix it, you get to this level where you start having anxiety. You start, it's not just being stressful now. It, you, your, your body starts twitching. Your, your eye gets funny, okay? <laughs> uh, you're, you're staying up at night. You don't even know why you're staying up at night. But, but if you don't fix it, you, you get to this point where you get have an emotional breakdown. You, you literally shut down. Okay? And what happens when it gets this late, you gotta, you gotta call in the specialist. You gotta take some time off. There's, there's casualties. Because here's what I want you to understand. Every one of us have a leak in our emotional bucket that is constantly draining. Constantly leaking. You could come to this conference and you're gonna be tanked up and you're gonna get passionate. But next week you're going to feel discouraged or you're going to feel low again because there's a leak in all of our emotional buckets. Problems, issues, things you don't even recognize. Constantly leaking. You could have a great revival and then the next week someone's having an affair. You, you, God can do a miracle and then the next week someone does something stupid. And you're thinking, God, does it ever end? The answer is no. Okay? You constantly are draining. The secret is, is that you got to keep your bucket full. Okay? But here's what I understand. Here's what I understand. Most people can tell me what drains them, but they can't tell me what fills them. Okay? I'm going to tell you what drains me, all right? When leaders don't act like leaders. Okay? You're committed to be a leader. You're committed to live at a certain level. And you do something that you know is against leadership Leadership character. That drains me. I hate it when leaders don't act. They put something on Facebook. They post something. They respond to something. And now people are coming to me and say, did you see this, Pastor? I don't even have Facebook. Just for mental health purposes, okay? 
Right? I'm just telling you. That drains me. You know what else would drains me? When I'm a little bit, spend, I get busy, and I don't spend enough time with my wife, and we start having a little friction. Now, I know you're, you and your marriages are perfect, okay? You guys are like blessed and bliss, and you have no issues. But in our, my world, okay, when, when, we don't, when mom and I are not on the same wavelength, there become some issues. Little things become big things, right? Oh, I know we're Holy Ghost field, and I know we go to church, and we smile, and we're good leaders. But when we get home, you know, we act like real people. Now, can I be honest? All right? Okay, right? So when mom and I have problems, I'm going to tell you, it drains me. I mean, we, we, I mean, she just looks at me. I look at her, and it's like, oh, God, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Okay? So I know her love language is time. I know that. Okay? So, so when we got problems, when my kids, when my kids are not behaving right, it drains me. When there's some stress issues in the church, that drains me. I lived like this for a long time. And it almost broke me. Because no one ever taught me this. No one ever shared with me. Until somebody said, you know what you need to do? You need to figure out what fills you, what drains you. Well, I always already talked about what drains me. So let me tell you what fills me. When I read a good book, whoo, my goodness, my spirit, blah, 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 blah. I, I can feel it take up. I mean, a book that just, just challenges me and gives me ideas and concepts. When, when I go to a leadership conference, I'm telling you, my energy bucket fills. When I spend time with my wife, just, I'll just give you a little insight of my world. Fridays is my family time. I tell my church, don't call me, don't text me, and don't die on Fridays, okay? Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because you won't be on your own, okay? Friday is my day where I spend with my wife for my emotional well-being. I've been in this for 15 years. Hear me. I've been doing this 15 years. And my spirit is as passionate and as hungry as it has ever been. Because somewhere a long time ago, I better start and start filling my tank. I don't care, well, Brother Zuniga, someone's going to get a divorce. Someone is get, they're going to get a divorce next week. They're going to have a problem a week after that. Somebody else is going to be on the brink of whatever. But you know what? I only have one mind. I only have one wife. And I want to keep it that way, okay? I don't need split personality. And I don't need another wife. Somebody give, give me an amen because it's amen in him, Right? When I spend time with my wife, I'm at his three. When I go, when I spend time with my, my family on family vacation, okay, in a couple of weeks, I'm taking my boys. I got three boys, my wife, and we're going to go we're gonna have a great time. I'm super pumped about it. I mean, I, I could, I, I, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm thinking about I'm on vacation. I mean, it, it just, man, it just, I feel like I got a little pep in my step. Somebody help me out here, amen, okay? Because I put it on the calendar. Somebody called me and said, Pastor, you, you know what? We got problems. Can you counsel us on Tuesday on your vacation? I'm not coming back to counsel you. I'm just telling you right now. Okay? I've seen pastors do that. And their wives and their kids are angry and hate church because they didn't know how to feel them. All right? Amen. You better make a list and discover what fills your tank. So this is the question you ask. You want to know where are you at? What's going on? When your spirit soars, what are you doing? What's happening? 
when you feel your spirit take flight? What's going on when you know my tank is being lifted? Whatever that is, you better calendar it and do more of it. Because leadership will drain you. You better take better care of your emotional health. Because here's why. And you please understand this. Please understand this. This was revelation, revelation to me. Okay? The greatest gift I give my wife, the greatest gift I give my children, the greatest gift I give my friends, the greatest gift I give you, the greatest gift I give my church, hear this, the greatest gift is staying encouraged. Okay? Not my anointing, not my calling. Okay? Staying encouraged. When I'm discouraged, it affects everything around me. When my spirit's low, it affects everybody around me. You know whose responsibility it is to stay encouraged? It's mine. Right? So the great, can you imagine if I came in here and just was, was so discouraged and said, I can't even believe you guys go to church. Church? Really? I mean, this, this, is, this is an uphill battle. No one's having fun. God ain't doing anything. Would you leave encouraged? But if I come here, my spirit's lifted and I'm saying, God is at work in amazing ways. God is doing incredible things. God is able to reach down and in your city and in your home bring miracles and blessings. I don't know about you, but just saying it makes me feel better. Right? Just saying it makes my spirits lift. You have to understand your emotional tank, your emotional health matters. And you better find a way and figure out what fills you. Number three, here we go. You need to develop the next generation of leaders. Before Jesus started the church, he called 12 men and he said, for three and a half years, I'm going to invest in you. If Jesus' only purpose was to die on the cross and raise and go in the grave and raise from the dead, he would not need a three and a half year ministry. The reason he had a three and a half year ministry was to develop and to cultivate and to instill in 12 men that would help change the world. He understood that you have to have an intentionality about developing leaders. For us, our target age in our church is 12 years old. We tell our parents, we're going to have a leadership conference. I don't want you just to come. I want your kids to come. We want to start cultivating what God has hardwired, packaged, brought in every young person's life. If you went to our church, every ministry in our church has young people involved, and some of it is led by young people. As someone challenged me, you need to double your efforts into reaching younger leaders. You need to double your efforts. You need to double your efforts and cultivate. There are some 12 and 13, 15-year-olds that would hunger for mentorship. Hunger. And so here's what I know. You don't do it accidentally. You intentionally schedule it. For us, the last Sunday of every month, in fact, tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, I'll bring in about 20, 22, 23 leaders. And I will begin to talk with them about some leadership principle. I'll begin to challenge them about developing their own leadership skills. I'll begin to give them resources they need to read. I'll begin to tell them about where I am in my current leadership development. What things I'm facing. What I'm challenging. What God's doing in my life. Because I know this. They're not going to grow by themselves. 
And your answer to your growth problem, the answer to my church growth problem, here it is, is our ability to develop leaders. If you don't develop leaders, you are making the mountain and the battle a lot harder. You're making the mountain a lot steeper. So you need to find a solution. You need to find a path. You need to find something that begins to help you develop younger leaders. I'm going to keep plowing on. Number four, your level of growth in your church is all developed or designed on your systems. Okay? Let me explain this to you. I explained to Pastor uh, yesterday, but let me explain this to you. Your body, my body, has 11 systems in it. Okay? We have a muscular system, a skeletal system. We, we, uh, we have a, a, a respiratory system, a digestive system, a reproduction system. There, there's, there's 11 systems that work in our bodies, right? When they are working together, you have strength. You have health, vitality. You have growth. Well, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ, right? The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has systems. Our staff spent literally about two years asking, researching, developing, discovering what systems does an apostolic church have that makes it grow. When I look at amazing apostolic churches, what systems do they have in place that make it grow? What are they doing that is causing them to stay in the game and growing? Here it is. I'm going to give you the nine systems. I'm not going to talk about them, but I have a lesson that I do all of them. I'm just going to give them to you. But number one is first impressions. First impressions. First impressions for us is people like in the parking lot, people that greet people as they're pulling into the parking lot. Our service experience starts in the parking lot. If you want to start understanding the effects of welcoming, motivating, inspiring, and lifting people, you don't begin with the worship or with the preaching. In fact, they tell us people know about your church within 11 seconds of them coming on your church property. And so for us, it starts in the parking lot. But our first impressions is our greeters, our ushers, our cafe, bookstore, our, our, all of those people that are the first smiles and first handshakes that people see or feel. Our second system is called what we call a follow-up system. We call it second impression. When a guest comes to our church... We want their information, and we have a system about following up on people that God sends us. Our challenge is like this. If we don't take care of the people God has already sent us, why would he send us any more people? If we don't know, so just for you, I handwrite every person that gives me a guest card in our church. So if you came to my church... I don't even care if you, you're, you live in Nashville. You can live in Timbuk5. I don't care. And you give me your address, I'm going to handwrite a letter to you thanking you and celebrating what we talked about in church and inviting you back. A handwritten note. Our, our, our associate pastor will get a call. And at 3 o'clock on Monday, our secretary, if you give us your email, will email you thanking you for coming. There's a whole team that takes it from that point in what we call an eight-touch system that will follow up on every person that comes to our church. The next step, or our next system, is what we call our discipleship journey. Our discipleship journey. To make it very simple, and this is very complex, but I'm going to make it very simple. When people ask me, Pastor, 
Where are you taking people? Where, where are you taking the church? What's the goal? What's the end zone? What's the focus here? I'm going to share what, what God shared with me. You're not going to Google this. You ain't going to find this. You can't go buy this. This is what God gave to me. But our church is built on three things. It's our vision statement, okay? It's called loving, learning, living. Loving, learning, living. They are based on the words of Jesus, of what a disciple is. Jesus said, if you love one another, then are you my disciple. That's loving. He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciple. If you continue, you may not. You may want to watch Netflix, and you may want to watch Hulu, and you may want whatever. But if you continue in my word, then are you my disciple. We call that learning. The next thing he said, if you bear much fruit, then are you my disciple indeed, right? So let me ask you, sweet brothers and sisters, something. What fruit was Jesus talking about? So I've asked that question to a lot of people. I went to pastors and scholars and I went to educated people and I said, Jesus said, if you bear much fruit, then are you my disciple? What fruit was he talking about? The common answer I get is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. But I, I, but I felt a prompting to go through the New Testament and just study fruit. Do you recognize in the New Testament there are seven fruits? That every mature disciple needs to have that is in the New Testament. Here's what I can tell you. These are the seven fruits. This is what I teach people in our church. If you want to grow, if you want to know where we're going, you want to know the end zone, I want every person from boy, girl, man, woman to bear seven fruits in their life. Every mature disciple should bear, one of these, should bear all of these fruits. Here we go. Ready? It's the fruit of repentance. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of righteousness. It's the fruit of holiness. It is the fruit of lost souls. It's the fruit of giving. And the fruit of worship. Every one of those fruits has a scripture in the New Testament of where a disciple of Jesus Christ lived, birthed, breathed one of those seven fruits. So I tell, when we, when we talk about disciple making in our church, I tell them very simply, these are the seven fruits you need to produce in your life. If you're going to, I can tell you, if you do this, you'll go to heaven. Now I'm going to tell you, that's what I told you in about two minutes. That's taken years to develop. There's language, there's systems that we wrap around these seven fruits because disciple making is very important to us. The number four system is growth group. These are small groups. There's children's system, youth systems, music system, meaning we need a, a, a system where we can show up and we know who's singing and know what songs are going to be sung. There's the programming system. And I, I will talk about this in just a little bit when I talk about uh, speaking, but there's a programming system that makes things sticky, meaning I want people to brand what we're trying to accomplish at the church. I want people to know... For instance, on Father's Day, on Father's Day, uh, again, this is Father's Day. We're going to have a good time. And so our programming team got together, and they had three guys dress up in hot dog costumes. And, and during service, okay, uh, they began to play. You don't hate me for this. Give me an umbrella of mercy here. But they began to play uh, just a small clip. Who let the dogs out? Ooh, ooh, okay. So these guys come out, and they begin to get hot dogs that are wrapped in foil, and they throw them out in the audience. 
And they say, Dad, for everybody after church, when you walk out the door, we're going to have hot dogs grilling, and we're going to give everybody a Coke, and as you go to your car, you're going to have a hot dog, and we just want to thank you for coming. I'm telling you, Sunday after church, after the altar call, man, you walk outside, you smell the grill going, you smell hot dogs. I started getting hungry. And I'm just telling men and kids and, and people smiling and thinking, this is unbelievable. This, this is awesome. And they're going to their car thinking, man, I'm glad I came to church. Now, I'm going to tell you where an idea like that comes from. It doesn't come from me. It came from a group of people that try to be as very creative as we possibly can to make things sticky, to make things last. Number nine system is what we call administration. This pays the bills, keeps the house of God clean, keeps toilet paper in the bathrooms. So here's the question. This is my challenge to you on this segment. People ask, where do we start? Where do you, where do you be? If, if, if you, this is a real complex, this is a lot. And I would agree. It's take us years to get here. Where do you start? Here's where you start. You need to find a team of people that you can evaluate your Sunday services. Let me explain it to you in my context, and I'll back it up for you. Every Monday at noon, the people that lead these systems, these nine systems, are the key leaders in our church, which we call the senior leadership team. Every Monday at noon, we gather together. Some of them take their lunch hour and call in, like a conference call. And we start talking about Sunday service. And we ask these four questions. I would challenge you to put your services under investigation and just ask these four questions. Question number one, where was God at work? Because it doesn't care if we got everything right if God wouldn't at work, amen? But we want, we want the stories of where God was touching people. Man, I saw so-and-so come to the altar. and Man, wasn't that great? Somebody got baptized. And I saw, man, that, that, that presentation was fantastic. I love the video. Man, the, the message had these great points in it. We asked, where was God at work? We asked the second question, what went wrong? Here's what I know. If we don't ask that question, what went wrong? There can be some things that are causing our church's services to be less than their best. Because we don't want the hard truth. And so, again, we, we, we talk to these, these leaders and, and we, we have honest conversation. Because I can tell you this. Companies and churches that are afraid of honest conversations are not going to grow. Now, you've got to have a foundation of trust. I'm not here to hurt you. But, but let me just be honest with you. If we don't figure out what's not working... The air was too hot, sound was too loud, not loud enough. We had kids running around and no supervision in the back. We had Sunday school teachers that were not Sunday schooling and ushers that were not ushering. And, and we got issues. But we have to have a place, in a safe place, to start unpackaging our service. The following two questions are this. What was missing? Did we miss something? And the fourth question is, what was confusing? We could have made an announcement. Hey, the men are gathering together next Saturday, the 17th, at 5 o'clock. But really, the announcement should have been, it's the following Saturday, and it starts at 3. If we don't know that we've missed something, or something's confusing, we're going to send mixed signals to our congregation. I challenge every team and every pastor, if you do not have a time 
I don't care if it's a Monday night or Tuesday night. I don't care when it is. But if you don't have time when you're unpackaging your Sunday service, you will never change and it will never be its best. Will God move? Yes. But could it be better? Could you grow? Yes. Because some of you, the lid is you're not unpackaging the service. You're not discovering what's working. How do we improve? Where do we work on? What needs to get better? Where do we need to tighten up? What needs to be polished? What needs to be focused on? If you will unpackage your service, you will get better. Here we go. Number five. Now I'm going to shift gears here in a little bit. If you're a pastor, if you're a leader, you have to pass the financial challenge. How faithful are you in your own personal giving? Because here's what I can tell you. I know some pastors that don't tithe. Okay? And if you want God to bless you, then let me tell you, you better be faithful to God in your tithe and in your offering. I know people say, well, pastor, that's easy for you. You're the pastor. Well, I hadn't always been the pastor. I haven't always pastored. There was a day and an hour and a time where my wife and I had to settle the issues that we were going to trust God with our finances and with our future. And we paid tithes. And we gave faithfully. And we gave offerings. See, I don't know where you come from, but in my church, it wasn't just tithe. It was offering. Right? So somebody says, well, you know, you give tithe and that's good. No, no. The Bible says you have robbed me in tithe and offering. If you're not paying offering, then you, you're, you're still not measuring what God wants you to do. Well, I paid my tithe. No. Well, fine. You're still robbing God. You need to pay tithes and offering. I don't know where we cut off the offering and you act like that's just something you can do if you have extra. Offering is required. But the problem, we get funny about money. Because we don't want people to think, well, the church is all about money. No, it isn't. Money is spiritual. And if we don't conquer the money issue, and if we don't get comfortable talking about money, then there's something going to be wrong in our church. So when I talk about money, I never talk about money just one Sunday. If I'm going to talk about money, I'm going to talk at least two and hopefully three services in a row. I'm going to probably do it in a series. You know why? Because in your church, like my church, there's people that miss. Right? Well, maybe not your church. My church, okay? They miss. They, they, they may come one Sunday when, 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 you know, I'm talking about money and they're not there and they need to hear it. So I talk about it three Sundays in a row. And I bring a different aspect. It may be sacrificial giving. It may be tithe. It may be offering. It, it may be God blessings. And this is the blessings of God when you give. I, I can tell you, you please hear me, I can tell you. When people hear the stories of how God blesses and how God's provided, it opens their heart to believe that God still honors the faithfulness of giving. Amen? See, here's what I know, Pastor. Please hear me. Every pastor needs their financial blessing story. So, I'll share mine. Everybody always had a financial story that I didn't have. Everybody was always, man, I had so-and-so come, and they gave me a check, and man, it was what we needed, and God blessed us. I didn't have one of those stories. So about eight years ago, we went to building a new building, and, and we were able to have enough money to build a sanctuary, a foyer, bathrooms, but we didn't have enough money for youth, offices, or children. So I said, God, there's no way that you want me to come into this new building without at least a children's area. But the bank's not going to lend me any more money. So I remember walking into the area. It was just the shell, just the outer walls, but it was rocks on the ground. 
And I remember gathering with some leaders and said, we're going to pray over this area. God's going to provide. And we held hands and we believed and we prayed that God, it is not your will for us to come to this church and not have a place for our kids to learn about Jesus. That's not the will of God. And I don't know how we are broke. We don't have millionaires. We, we don't know where it's going to come from. But God, you will provide. You hear me. Within a month, on a Wednesday night, I had a lady come to me and said, Pastor, God told me to give you this. When I opened the check, it was a $140,000 check that she wrote to have that wing. The next day, another lady on the Sunday came and gave me a $75,000 check for our kids' week. Within about two weeks, we had over $385,000 brought in to help build that children's week. You know what I do? I raise my hand and say, God, your vision will not lack resources. And if you will trust God, and if you will trust God with finances, and if you will allow God to use you in blessing others, can I tell you, God will absolutely bless you beyond your wildest imagination. Amen. I want you to raise your hands right now. Come on. God, I'm asking you to bless financially. I'm asking you to bless leaders and pastors. I'm asking you to bless churches. Come on, God. You know the need and you can provide. In the name of Jesus. 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 I'm going I'm to dig a little deeper if that's okay. Okay? I'm going to dig a little deeper. But if you're going to lead, hear me. And I've got to be careful here because I have children here. But you need to control your sexuality. Leaders all the time are going to be tempted. And they're going to be pushed against the enemy because the enemy wants them to falter. And so I have learned in my lifetime... That this little device right here has destroyed people. As I have said, this will change and help society, but it will destroy the individual. There's actually now developments where people are hooked to their devices. They're, they're, they're so engaged that they don't even know how much time they are on their phones or check their phones. It's a, it's a growing statistic, and yet we don't have enough time to understand the full ramification. There's not enough time to develop hard empirical data on, on the effects that it's having on our lives and our family. But I can tell you this. Marriages have been destroyed because of Facebook. I can tell you. I just heard this two Sunday nights ago that a, a leader, a, a board member, a stellar Christian, a guy got a text from Facebook. From a high school person, this guy is a grandfather, from a high school friend that said, are you still handsome? That was on Monday. By Friday of that week, he was gone. There was something that began to trigger in his spirit. And that we've got to understand that God created us in a way that he didn't cause it to destroy us. Now, the world wants to destroy it and make it funky. And the world wants us to get a little bit shy and backward and intimidated. We cannot be backwards here. We have to be clear that God created us the way we are. But he has a plan for it. And so I challenge, I, I, again, if this was a marital thing, we'd be going a whole day, down different direction. But you need to maximize the consequences of moral failure in your life. 
maximize it. My kids are going to commit suicide. My kids are going to get addicted. They're going to lose their mind. My church is going to fall apart. There are going to be people in hell because I've, I've fallen. You need to maximize the consequences of moral failure. You know what the devil wants to do? You need to minimize it. Everybody will be okay. My dad messed up and, and I'm okay. Uh-uh. You better understand now that God is calling us to be men and women of character and strength and integrity. Here's what I do. I know. Humility and submission will protect you in this area. But you better check your mind. You better check your innocent flirting. And you need to check your marital stability. If your marriage is struggling, I'm going to challenge you to spend some time. Okay? Your marriage needs some attention. I'm going to ask you, you couldn't do a deeper spiritual thing than make sure. Here's what I know. There's a lot of couples. They can mess around, but they can't have spiritual moments. I challenge our church. You need, to, you need to have spiritual moments. You need to be able to raise, hold hands and raise hands for heaven and worship God together. I go to the couples in our church and tell them, you know what? My prayers for you is that you have deep spiritual moments. Because those spiritual moments is what bonds intimacy. And I'm not talking about physical. I'm talking about emotional stability. Emotional stability that brings health, vitality, strength, longevity to marriages. But we need to settle this issue in our life about being pure before God. Someone say amen. amen. Two more things and then I'm going to switch this to questions. But you need to settle what you will believe. If you're wishy-washy, you'll never grow a stable church. You better settle the issues that there are some non-negotiables in your life. Settle the issues doctrinally, standards, and your past. I'm not afraid of having conversations about any of those. We need to be clear and be as profound and as simplistic as we possibly can be when it comes to doctrine, standards, and our past. There has to be some things that we're willing to take a bullet for. I have a friend of mine that I grew up with, and we're, we're talking, we are life friends. We were, we were in the nursery together, okay? We, they, in fact, we were such bad kids in the nursery that they put us in the, the same crib together, okay? I mean, we were like a rowdy bunch, all right? Like, these kids need some parents, all right? And, and, so, and so we grew up, we, we were young, and, and um, our lives... I mean, we're so similar. We're the same age. We're two weeks apart. We're about the same size. He's white. I'm Hispanic, okay? He married a Hispanic wife. I married a white wife. And, and we have three boys together. We both pastor. We went to the same school together. We are best men in each other's wedding. We were friends, okay? We vacationed together. We went Alaska cruise together. We, we're buddies, okay? All right? I mean, we're deep friends. We're lifelong friends, okay? We're, 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 I mean, we're close. But a few years ago, he decided that he didn't want to believe this way anymore. He didn't want to walk this way anymore. We had some long conversations, and, and, he, and he's shifting gears on me. And I remember I, I'm on a phone call with him, and I'm at home, and I'm literally pleading with him. Don't do this, Rob. There's no good end to the story. There's no positive examples of this is the right way. I, I'm intellectually, passionate, emotionally. I, I'm literally pleading with him. And I know he's gone. 
And I'm hanging up the phone and I just tear just because I love this dude. My wife comes in, she looks at me and she says, I got to you, didn't it? Yeah, it, it's, it hurts. I remember turning around on my knees and just begin to pray, ask God to help me. And I'm telling you, if I've ever heard the Lord speak to me, I heard the Lord speak to me that night. And this is what he said. He put the verse in my mind, because they received not a love for the truth. Because they received not a love for the truth. God sent them strong delusions that they should believe a lie and be damned. But here's the question that God told me. He said, Zuniga, when's the last time you ever prayed just to love it? Not know it, not explain it, not debate it, just love it. I remember saying, God, if I never explain it right to anybody, I'm asking you to bathe me with a love for truth, for righteousness, for holiness, for separation. I'm asking you, God, I, I, I feel to this day, I ask God, I don't care if I don't, I'm not getting it right. I want to love this. It's deep in my heart. You know what the difference is? So I'm just being honest with you. You know what the difference is between me and them? Here's the difference. I love it. I love it. It's deep in my heart. I don't know if the last time you've ever prayed to love truth, to love this message, to love this way. I'm not bored by it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not upset because I'm privileged to have truth and revelation. I don't feel like I, I'm, the odds are against me. I recognize that I am privileged and I'm honored to know revelation of the mighty God in Christ. There's one Lord and there's one faith and there's one baptism. I'm glad that we're called to be separate from the world. I'm thankful for that revelation. Thankful. You better settle what you believe. Because everyone I know has paid a price by people that they love to walk away. Even Jesus, Jesus had Judas. Just the reality of ministry. But if you're going to grow, you better know where you are and you better love it. Now I'm going to switch gears here and I'm going to talk primarily to those that speak and preach, okay? Because this to me is the issue here. And one second here. This is the issue here. We have to get better at communicating God's word. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a lesson here. I'm not a lesson, but I'm gonna. This is a point I want you to dial in to me, because average pastors, and I don't mean average in a bad way, but the the pastors that that lead churches that are growing, breakout churches. Okay, statistically proven, pastors that lead churches that are growing and blossoming spend 20 hours a week on just their Sunday service. Okay? I just want, I'm going to put these numbers out there. It is true. This is true as true as ever been true. Most pastors have preached everything they know the first five years of their pastorate twice. Okay? Average, most majority pastors have preached everything they know the first five years of their pastorate Twice. As I stand before you, and I say this humbly, I've been pastoring about 15 years, been in full-time ministry over 20 years, 
And I can tell you this. In my church, I probably preach the same message maybe five times or less. Okay? I say this humbly. Because somewhere along the way, God has helped me understand the important job that I do of communicating truth to people. The most important thing I do is to communicate God's word. So I'm going to tell you how I do it. It may not work for you. You may think differently, but I'm going to give you a secret and I want to help you today, okay? Because I know what I'm telling you is true. I don't know about you, but I don't have just 20 hours somewhere in the week that I can dedicate to, 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 to getting one message together. But I can accumulate 20 hours for one message. This is how we do it. I gather a group of what we call our speaking team. This is our preachers, our, those that help me preach the gospel, teach. They are the ones that help me. So we'll gather about three times a year, and we will ask this question. What is God asking us to preach to our church? What's the struggle that we need to address? What's the vision that we need to communicate to our church? What's lacking in our church? We gather around, we pray, and we ask the tough questions. Where's the deficits? Where, where is God working at that we want to just lean into and trust God? And it is out of this meeting that we will begin to now prepare for around four to six months worth of ministering on every Sunday. As I stand before you, I pretty much know what I will be preaching all the way to probably until the end of September. I can tell you what Sunday, what's going on, and what I will be preaching. The question that I get blown back to me is, oh, what if God wants to change it? What if God wants to shift it? I tell you this. When God interrupts our service, and God can interrupt at any time, He's not going to interrupt chaos. God is going to interrupt a well-prayed-over, thought-out, studied-over, planned-out, strategized, fasted-over, hungry, anointed service. And God, well, somebody said, well, God, you know, what if God wants to wake you up at, at, at 6 in the morning and, and shift gears? Then let it be, Lord. I've walked to the pulpit with notes and God shifted on me. But I can tell you this. That the majority of the time when you're speaking, it's amazing how Sunday comes every other day. Right? Right? And so most pastors, most preachers live off inspiration. They hear T.D. Jakes. They go to a conference. They get a message. And that one Sunday, whoo, the roof comes off the building. I mean, it's, it's Holy Ghost blowout. But the following Sunday, it tails off. Because we're good at living off inspiration but we're not good at strategizing. And so in our mind, we begin to plan out some thoughts and begin to, to ask God to, to, to help us uh, develop great message. So if God's going to do that for you, then you better have a way of stewarding your thoughts. Let me give you a couple examples that have helped me. Have you ever had a thought? You're in bed, you're sleeping. A brilliant thought comes to your mind. A brilliant thought. And you're thinking, man... That is so good, I will never forget that thought, right? So there was one day that God brought a thought in my mind. I thought, my Lord, have mercy, hallelujah, anyhow. That is a, that's an amazing idea. That is so good, I guarantee I'm never going to forget that thought. I promise you the next morning, I couldn't remember it. And for a season there, God wouldn't speak to me. I, I got no God thoughts. 
And I asked God, why? He said, I gave you a thought and you didn't take care of it. Why would I waste another thought on you? So what I begin to do is every time I get a thought, I find a place to land it. So I'm going to show you what I do. And again, this may work for you. It may be an idea. You can do it better. But I have, a, I have a, an app here called the Note app in my Apple phone, okay? And in my Note app, in my notes, if you, if you come down here, under my folders, I have a message app. In my message app, I have a place where I, I just say thoughts, okay? So whenever I get a thought, I hear something, an idea comes in my mind, I land that thought there. I'm just going to read. I don't even know what it says, but I'm going I'm to read my last thought to you, okay? Um, so here, here's a thought I heard. Fighting for greatness, too many settle for less. Choose more of a daring path of significance. Play at the outer edge of your incompetence. Now somewhere around there, I don't know where that goes. I don't know if I'm ever going to use that in a message. But I know I am, I am stewarding and collecting thoughts. Because when I begin to develop and begin to what we call content creation, when I begin to put the guts in a message, I'm going to have several sources that begin to help me develop this message. Let me give you an idea for this. And so, as I shared with you, a lot of us read, okay? But some people read books and they'll just say, well, that's a great book. But I teach people, you got to turn books into tools. And this is how I do it. This is the latest book that I'm reading. I read it on the plane. I'll read it on the plane today. It's called The Daniel Dilemma. And the byline is How to Stand Firm and Love Well in a Culture of Compromise. Okay, that's the book I'm reading right now. But I put this book on my shelf, and when I want to begin to talk about a message, all i got to do is open the first page. Because what I do is as I'm reading, I'll write thoughts. Here's what they are. Love. Truth, righteousness, identity, culture, lost people, holiness, humility, convictions, test, sufferings, courage, worship, mind. So what I do is I put the page number there, okay? Let me give you an example. So I'm, I'm going to look under worship. Somewhere at page 52 is an idea of worship. So I'm going to go to page 52. Let me just go to page 50. I don't know what it says, but I know it's going to talk about worship. Better get your worship on. Here we go. Page 52. Worship is your lifeblood. So when I read that, I underlined it and I put a star by it. Okay? Now, I got tons of books like this. When I I read, I got... Let me snag my other book here. Okay? I'll do the same thing in every book. So when I'm going to prepare a message... All I do is go grab books off my bookshelf and look and just say, is there anything in this book that I've read that, have helped, that can help me build this sermon? Amen. The way that I stay fresh, new content, relevant, is that I continue to develop the content. I don't go Google, well, let me just Google a message. Let me go see what T.D. Jake said. No, no, no. That's why I'm just telling you, it comes in my spirit. I save it and I develop it. So when I know what I'm preaching, okay, when I know what I'm, for instance, and let me give you an example here. So, uh, I, I, uh, in, in our message here, in our programming team, we wanted to develop a message about truth. We got a lot of young believers. And so, what I did is I took one message, Ephesians chapter 4, and it's this verse. You'll know it, but it's this verse. One Lord, say it with me, one faith, one baptism. Okay, that's a verse. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So, every, every week for a month, I, that was my text. 
I printed out a business card like this. I gave it to every member of our church. And I said, I'm going to preach from this one verse every week for a month. And I'm going to preach on doctrine. And what I call the series is fake news. Okay? Fake news. Okay? That's what I call it, fake news. Because there's a lot of false doctrine out there, right? Okay? And I have a people that don't know about one Lord. And they don't know about one faith. And they, got, they don't know about one baptism. They got a lot of ideas. They got friends that are baptized. And, and so I'm going to teach it. And so I, 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 I'm going to teach this one verse. Here's what I know. There's so many people that don't know a Bible verse. Now, they can tell you what Shakira says, and they can tell you what Renaya says, and they can tell you what Slim Shady says, but they, don't, they can't tell you, right? They can't tell you the Bible verse, right? So I got one verse, and I said, I'm going to preach on one Lord. I'm going to preach on one faith, and what, I'm going to ingrain the Bible in your mind, okay? I, I, I took one, I, I told them, I can take one verse and put the whole Bible in one verse. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Romans chapter 6, verse 22 says like this, okay? And now being free from sin, you become servants to God. You have your fruit under righteousness, fruit under holiness, excuse me, and the end everlasting life. So I called this series Old Words. And I broke that one verse, and I begin to say, that one verse, I want you to memorize it, but I'm going to talk about old words. So the first part of that verse says, and now being made free from sin. I called it repentance. And I preached about repentance and what repentance means and how we actually repent. Because there's a lot of people that don't know how to repent. They're sorry for what they've done, or they're sorry for what they got caught, but they don't know how to repent. And then the second part of that verse says, and now being a servant to God, or become a servant to God. You know what I called that? I called that sanctification. Okay? That's an old word, isn't it? And I talked about what does it mean to be a servant. You're a slave to God. You, 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 God's not a hireling. You, you, you're the property of God. What does it mean to yield yourself to God? The second part of that verse, and you have your fruit under holiness. I called that holiness. And the end, everlasting life, I called that eternity. Now here's what I can tell you. There are so many people that will remember that one verse because we took the time to brand it. We took the time to study it. But as I'm, I'm packaging these verses, as I'm knowing that I'm preaching about doctrine, here's what, let me give you some concepts here that will that, help, and I'll, I'll show you something in a moment. Everybody, there is no such thing as an undoctrined Christianity. You have a doctrine somewhere. You believe something. Let me give you an example. So there was a nurse, and she worked at a hospital that was really anti-religion. They didn't really want to talk about faith. And so uh, they were discussing, a couple doctors and nurses were discussing a patient that was really at the end of life. And one of the doctors says this. Well, at least if we pull the plug, they won't suffer no more. And the nurse said, how do you know that? That statement is a statement of faith. That statement, they won't suffer no more, is a doctrinal statement. Everyone has a doctrine. We better teach people. So what, what, I, what I've done, and, and Brother Wayne, if you can help me with this, I've packaged here to give you, if you would take one of these, and you can hand them out to pastors. There's about a half a year of sermons in this. Okay? Half a year of sermons. You have a one Lord, one faith. All my notes, you have my notes, 
you have the graphics, you have everything that I use on this sermon, okay? The one called Old Words is in here. I have another series in here called uh, I Am, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's an Easter series that is in here. I have a series I began 2018 called Convictions That Change the World. There's six messages, Convictions That Change the World. That's in here. I know most people that I talk to in a series like setting like this have a job. And they don't have a lot of time to develop messages. You can throw all these away. You can take one thought of it and use it. I re- you don't have to give me credit either, okay? You can act like you've got it, preached it, it's all you, and, and I'll buy the CD from you, okay? <laughs> but here's what I, my conviction is. If it helps you, I want to help you. You can literally take this and have six months worth of study. I, I did a message in here called Shoes, okay? So, so let me just explain that. So Shoes was... Uh, we had our foyer decked out with all kinds of shoes, okay? I mean, you walk, it's like you walk into a shoe store. There's just shoes everywhere. There's men's shoes, lace shoes. So when you walk in, and every Sunday we gave away a pair of shoes, okay? So, so somebody, we're giving them, a, you know, like DSW or some, some shoe. We're going to give it. Every Sunday we're going to give away shoes. But, but my first Sunday, as I was talking, I said, you know, the first shoes that came to my mind as I'm unpackaging this is redemptive shoes, okay? And I'm talking to my team. I said, Pastor, people don't know what redemptive shoes are. They know what new shoes are. So we called it new shoes. And new shoes came from the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son was out and he comes running home, right? And his daddy says, hey, go get the fatted calf and and, and go get the robe and wear the ring. And also, go, go get this guy new shoes. What the Bible doesn't say, but it's implied that somewhere on the journey, he lost his shoes. And when you come back, God has some new shoes for you. So the next shoes that I preached on was, was what I call work shoes. And the Bible talked about putting on the whole armor of God and your feet shod, right? Come on, somebody. This is a good church, right? And I talked about having work shoes. And, and you know what to know about work shoes? Work shoes never go out of style. Right? Right? So, uh, so I talked about new shoes, right? And, 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 and we've been talking about I ended the series with no shoes. Where, where Moses standing before God in the burning bush, and, and God said, "What? Take, take off what? Well, help me now. Take off what? What? Take take off your shoes." And I, I'm talking about they're talking about you becoming barren and honest and humble before God. We branded shoes. We talked about shoes. We gave away shoes because I didn't re- recognize how much truth is in the reality of shoes. Okay, all this comes out of. And all you got, it's all in here, okay? But all this comes out of sitting around, praying, asking God to help us get better. Because here's what I know. And I'm going to shift this here just in a moment. Here's what I know. Every Sunday, people come to our church and your church, and they're saying, Pastor, please, whatever you do, do something. Scare me. Move me, motivate me, inspire me, challenge me. But whatever you do, Pastor, please don't let me leave the same way I walked in this place. And we got to own up to becoming better communicators. The word that I challenge our speakers, our Sunday school staff, our, our, our team, this is the word we use, is engaging. I want the communication, the preaching to be engaging. 
So, I've unpackaged a lot here, okay? But here's what I want to end with. It really doesn't matter how cool, creative it is if God doesn't anoint it. I went to a, a leadership conference, a speaking conference, and very well-known pastor. If I gave you the name, you would know what it is. And uh, fascinating conference, so much depth and understanding. And as I'm headed for the door, going to my car, I, I push the door to leave the church, and I'm walking out, and the Lord spoke to me and said, do you know one word that was never spoken in this entire conference? That one word that was never spoken was the word anointing. We can never do this without the anointing of God. My challenge for you and my prayer for you and I is that God would anoint us, that God would use us as we lead and minister and challenge men and women that are lost, broken, and in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hands all across this house? God, we have an amazing task, but you did not call us to fail. You're challenging us this morning to do better. I'm asking you, Lord God, that you would help every one of us. God, that every one of us, God, to grow. Every one of us to prosper as our soul prospers. Help us to learn. Help us, God, to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I know... Um, I've spoken a lot here. I want to stop here, and I want to just have the opportunity to answer some questions or fill some gaps here that me, you may have. So, um, if this is okay, my brother, I, I just want to just open this up. Is there a question, a thought, something that you would like me to give a little bit more backstory on? Okay, brother Wayne. So the systems here, all right, number one is first impressions, second is second impressions or follow-up, third is discipleship journey or discipleship, fourth is small groups, fourth is small groups, fifth is children's ministry, sixth is youth, seven is music, eight is is programming, and nine is administration. Make sure everybody has those. Okay. Again, this, this, and we're strategic about calling them systems. We don't call them departments. We don't call them divisions. We don't call them ministries. They are systems that make our church run better. Yes, sir. Okay. It's a great question. Um, I, I will share this with you, okay, because I, um, I feel like God's taken me to another level, okay? This is me personally. So I just did uh, what we would call half-yearly reviews with all of our staff, our full-time people, okay? 
and I met with um, a secretary who does my schedule, and we're mapping out a new way to do my schedule. Because my deficit is with the challenges of educated, smart, Google, Internet, there's a lot of questions that are being asked that I just want more time to prepare for, okay, in my study in that time. So typically, I'm going to go to bed every night. Um, I do have office hours. Friday is my day off, but I typically do about um, probably around 9.30 to about 4.30. After I get home, put the kids to bed, I'm going to put in a couple more hours either reading or or just studying. That's me, okay? Um, That helps me, but it's about noon. But let me just tell you, on Saturday nights, I used to stay up until 3 in the morning preparing for Sunday morning. I don't do that anymore. By Thursday, okay? So yesterday, um, Thursday, I, 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 again, I flew across.